Welcome to Mostly Books Meets. We're the team at Mostly Books, an award-winning independent bookshop in Abingdon. In this podcast series, we'll be speaking to authors, journalists, poets, and a range of professionals from the world of publishing. We'll be asking about the books that are special to them, from childhood favourites to the book that changed their life, and we hope you'll join us for the journey. It is my great pleasure to welcome to the podcast this week, not one, but two brilliant creatives, author Swapna Haddo and illustrator Dapo Adiola. Swapna Haddo is the writer of the popular prize-winning Dave Pigeon and Bad Panda series, and Dapo Adiola is an award-winning illustrator who co-created and illustrated the picture book Look Up and is the writer of the book Hey You, an empowering celebration of growing up black. Last year, these two great storytellers came together and released the heartwarming picture book My Dad is a Grizzly Bear, Into the Wild. This month, they released their second collaboration, My Mom is a Lioness. Swapna and Dapo, it's my great pleasure to welcome you to Mostly Books Meets. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. You're being very good to us today because Swapna, it's what, 11pm where you are in New Zealand or later now? And it is also... 10 a.m. in the morning for those of us based in the UK. So thank you, (laughs) Depo, because, you know, it's not in the shop. I always say, you know, even before 11, when people come in, obviously I'm, you know, I'm smiley, I'm I'm, I'm at my best, but there's still a part of me that just needs to click into gear. So thank you for joining us today. Obviously, in the two books that you've created together, Childhood and the sort of a child's imagination um, is a feature in both of them. So I want us to Go back to our childhoods, and I'll start with you, Swapna. During your childhood, when did you sort of discover books and a a love for reading? I think books were always a part of my childhood. I have an older sibling, so I kind of inherited anything she was reading. And my mum used the library as a babysitter. So um, (laughs) she would just sort of drop us off whenever she felt like, and then go off and do whatever she wanted to do so we were pretty much left unsupervised in the library Mm. from when we were very small and then at home we also had books we were really lucky because we had cousins in India who would send us comics from Mm. this series called Amar Chitrakatha which had loads of fables and you know stories of Indian history Mm. Um, so I basically grew up on books and comics and non-fiction and and just anything the library would let us have so um yeah I can't exactly remember when I was first introduced to a book but it was pretty early on the thing that I don't remember is being read to I don't remember my parents Mm. reading to me but we were always you know sort of immersed in stories and reading together See, mine's a little bit the opposite. Like, I actually hated books up until I was, like, seven. And the reason, you know, this is crazy because the reason why is because I was never given that unsupervised access to Mm. books. It was very much read not for pleasure, but because we don't want to be embarrassed by your illiteracy. That was the environment I grew up in. So as a result, I never let on that I could read. Like, I got really good at hiding the books that I was given Um, And it wasn't until the age of seven when I had gone into a new year in school and the new teacher put me in front of the bookshelf and gave me the freedom to choose what I wanted to read. 
that's when everything changed. Like I was finally given an opportunity to pick what made my little nerd heart tick. And, you know, I picked up, um, if I recall correctly, I think I started on Roald Dahl's books. And from that moment onwards, I just became an avid reader and I would just tear through books on a daily basis almost, you know, so that was my story of, of how I got into books. Yeah, I think if my mum knew what I was actually reading in the library, she would have been horrified because her her idea or her um, concept of reading and having the ability to read was owned purely to put knowledge in your head to, you know, progress yourself through life. And there was no pleasure to it, really. So if she knew I was sort of racing through point horrors and goosebumps, she'd be horrified. But she wasn't there. So I went nuts. That's interesting then, because yeah, for both of you, that freedom to explore is a common feature. And at early age, Swapna, you were saying that, you know, you were free to sort of explore what interests you and, you know, and to take books off the shelves. And Depot for you, once that point came, that's when the reading sort of flourished. Yeah. Because you had that freedom to follow what interests you. Yeah, it went from, uh, oh my God, he's an embarrassment. He can't read to, oh my God, he won't stop reading. Like, it was <laughs> it was weird. It was a weird time. We get parents in quite a lot. It's a very particular type of panic where they've got a child who's getting through books quicker than they can give them access to them. And, you know, there's a, a mix of sort of pride and like, you know, oh, it's great that they're reading, but also you see the panic in their eyes of like, we need to get more books from somewhere. Like, is there more in this series? You know, is this, you know, there's this a real hunger there. Those parents are great. Like, mine's was more like, he's at the dinner table. He's not looking at any of us. He's in the book. Like, I would literally mm. be reading everywhere and all the time so it was just a weird a different kind of panic it was like yeah where is he like I was in the yeah. book yeah see ours mine was a bit different as well my panic was that stories would give me ideas so <laughs> I had to hide <laughs> fiction under the covers and read at night because you know I don't think my mum wanted me to have ideas of boyfriends <laughs> or any sort of any sort of anything um so yeah I had to hide my reading a little bit when we were at home but when we were in the library we could just do you think we, we were there for hours and hours like pretty I feel like we were dropped off like right as it opened on a Saturday morning and then picked up as it was about to shut on a Saturday evening <laughs> I mean yeah it, it, it comes up a lot when talking with people the library is a kind of uh like a sanctuary you know somewhere yes children I mean people of all ages but children can go and a sort of place of education but of wonder as well you know of, of discovery that it's such a common theme you know they really are sort of crucial to people sort of discovering what it is they enjoy or discovering these kind of you know other worlds or um you know various things they're so crucial to that yeah i agree i mean books have always been an escape for me they've always sort of removed me from an environment that i'm not particularly enjoying but also when i read books i could meet characters that felt like me and understood what mm. i was going through but I also met characters that were completely different from me and gave mm. me things to aspire to, things that I wanted for my life. It's a bit like when you watch a movie, you kind of start to think about, oh, well, I'd quite like to do that in my future or have that in my future. So books basically opened up a whole world for me, which was quite closed otherwise. Exactly the same, to be honest. Like, There's a lot that was inaccessible for me as a kid that books opened me up to and the key thing that books did 
<laughs> they changed the way I talk. And when I say they changed the way I talk, they expanded my vocabulary. So I'm mm. this like eight, eight, seven-year-old that's speaking like, you know, I grew up in Brixton in South London and it was a little bit unheard of at the time to be speaking the way that I speak. So a lot of my peers were like, oh, why is Depo talking like that? Like, it's because <laughs> I'm reading these books, do you know what I'm saying? And they're expanding my my, my vocabulary and, I'm, and I developed this kind of borderline, because you know, when you're a kid, you get obsessed with things. I, I developed yeah. this obsession with words and what they mean and, and the different ways that you can say different things. Yeah. So yeah, that was a, it was an interesting time growing up. Like, it's a real interesting time <laughs> trying to trying to fit into the crowd and also hold on to that that was interesting and for both of you how much would you say you're influenced by the books you read you know when you're approaching a children's book whether illustrating or, or writing it how much would you say you're influenced by the younger version of yourself and when they were reading and what they came across when they were reading how much do you think of that sort of feeds into your work now I think that's an interesting question because I think obviously I want to include humour in my work because mm. humour was what got me hooked on books, you know, Burglar Bill and things like that, that I just was laughing my head off at when I was a kid. I want to sort of replicate that feeling for other children. But there's an interesting thing. So I guess in the last few years, you know, representation and talking about representation in books has become, you know, sort of hot trend although mm. I hope it's not a trend, but you never yeah. know with these things. And the weird thing was that when I was a child, I didn't realise I was not seeing myself in a book. I just, it, it didn't occur to me mm. that I was not in the pages. So it was only now having, you know, sort of heard more of other people's lived experiences that I'm starting to realise that I also didn't see myself in a book. And now that's playing a bigger impact in the stories I write, because I obviously want, kids who looked like me and had brown skin to see themselves in books so yeah it's interesting it's sort of there's parts of my childhood that I'm sort of reliving now and thinking about more that I want to do better in the stuff that I'm writing so I'm kind of catering more to that child who probably didn't realize what they were going through back then if that makes sense yeah and that's exactly the same for me. I mean, I think I was pretty much like yourself in a lot of ways in that having access to books and with my imagination, I kind of put myself in stories, put myself in experiences. I made that jump and, you know, now I'm making the content like yourself. When I first came into the industry, I was like, oh my God, I actually didn't see myself both on or off the page in the industry. I didn't see myself as the person creating these books. I didn't see myself represented yes. as the person in the books. And, you know, the importance of that was like, I don't know about you, but it really felt like a weight had been dropped on me when I realized that, like, I just felt this yes. heaviness, you know, and a huge part of my career is now tailored towards making sure that the next generation coming up doesn't have that. And also even fulfilling that for my own generation, because I get this reaction from people that are my age when they see me making the content, when they see the books that I make and they buy it for their kids, they're like overjoyed that it exists, you know? So a huge part of it is that for me. How does it influence my approach to the books in terms of a technical approach? Um, I think it's more to do with having representation in the fields that I enjoyed as a kid. Like mm. um, I'm a huge kind of like fantasy and sci-fi nerd. I love that kind of content. So just having more stories that allow 
a kind of like inner city children that grew up the way that I grew up to see themselves having fantastical out of this world adventures. That's a huge part of what I'm doing at the moment. And also, you know, just normalizing those children's existence in stories, you know, things like what does Christmas look like on an estate? You never get that in children's mm-hmm. books, in children's picture books. Do, do they not celebrate Christmas unless they have a chimney? Like what's going mm-hmm. on? So like just those kind of things are things that are important to me now, telling those stories, showing that life. Yeah, I think there's also a lot of responsibility in being a writer or an illustrator of colour or creator of colour even, in that, you know, the industry has done so much to put up barriers for us to come in and create that you don't want to stuff up either (laughs) while you're there Mm. because it may well shut the door for the next person trying to come up. There's that weight that you carry. So now I'm here and now I realise what a disservice it was to my younger self to not see myself in a book. I kind of want to do everything. I want to make sure not only are there characters that look like how I looked when I was younger, but also that I'm not typecast. I don't want to only write mm. about saris and chapatis. I want to also write books that will be in the mainstream and on the tables of bookshops, you know, and say Dave Pigeon, but have like my Indian name at the bottom. So people mm. understand that the creators are also of colour. And there is no limit to the kind of stories they tell. I don't know that I ever thought about where books came mm. from. No. I don't know that I ever thought like, there was someone that wrote these things. I just read them. And then when I figured out that people do actually write them, it never occurred to me that someone with brown skin would write them. So, you know, it's twofold. Now I'm here. Now I have a platform. I kind of want to do everything for that younger me that wasn't done back then. It's the same here. But like the key thing for me is also, like you said, making sure that people know that it's a choice. Mm. You know, even though it does feel like this responsibility, it should be a choice, you know? So like when the day comes and I choose not to focus on this subject matter and focus on something else, people shouldn't be disappointed. Mm. Yeah. It's a choice. Yes. Cause that must be quite, um, having suddenly that sense of, um, responsibility, responsibility yeah. which, you know, other authors will not necessarily have. It must feel like that easily could be maybe exploited is the wrong word, but yes, that you're expected to do a certain type of story. You know, this is the story that you do. Yeah. And, you know, you're both saying that you want that freedom and you want that freedom for the children reading them as well, that they see themselves represented, but, you know, it doesn't have to be a particular type of story. And as you were saying, Swapner, earlier, you know, it's something that's discussed a lot now in the book trade in general. I remember when I started book selling, you know, four years ago, I think that's when the big... I think that the report came out about who's represented in yeah. picture books in particular. And I remember the, the shocking statistic was that animal characters were, you know, higher represented than children of colour. And that was four years ago when I was going to the book trade, that people were sort of going, oh, that's not good, is it? Or, yeah. or the, as it were, the sort of powers that be within the book trade were going, oh, actually, yeah, that's not good. So, yes, I can imagine for authors coming in at that time, there was a great sense of um, these are the stories that you should be doing. But, you know, actually it's about that freedom that other writers come in without even considering that freedom to just do the stories that they want to do and make those available to everyone. It's an interesting thing that comes up in a lot of the conversations I'm having with the authors on this podcast at the moment. And certainly one that, you know, a lot of people coming into the bookshop as well are looking for and wanting to discuss with booksellers as well. So, 
going on from that, in terms of both of you now as adult, what books have you come across recently that stand out for you? You know, what are you reading at the moment between both of your busy schedules? What are you coming across at the moment that inspires you or simply you just enjoy? I actually find it really difficult to read while I'm writing. And I'm just going in now to three major deadlines. So I'm going to say some books that I finished a little while ago. But I read a grown-up book um, (laughs) because I don't often do that. I read The Henna Artist by Alka Joshi, which was just brilliant. Her, she just writes so vibrantly and it's just incredible, incredible writing. And you really feel like you're in Jaipur. You really feel like you're with the characters, Radha and Lakshmi. I mean, I don't want to ruin the story if you haven't read it, but it's about sisterhood. It's about grief and self-belief. And I just love that book so much. And, you know, anything that can completely remove me from my environment to the point of which when I shut the book, I need a minute to just get my gauge my surroundings again is just a winner for me. And that was one of those. And as a family, because we do a family read together each night, we're reading The Boy Who Made Everyone Laugh. This one is by Helen Rutter. We picked it up mainly out of spite, actually. What happened (laughs) was that Bad Panda, which I write and is illustrated by Sheena Dempsey, was shortlisted for the Blue Peter Book Award. uh, Sorry, longlisted (laughs) for the Blue Peter Book Award and didn't get shortlisted. But this book did. And I wanted to see what the deal was. Turned out it was a big deal. (laughs) This is absolutely brilliant. It's so funny. Absolutely honoured to have shared a long list with this. (laughs) Um, So the book's about Billy Plimpton, who has a stammer, and he's just about joined, I think, year seven. I think he's just joined secondary school. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, everything that comes along with living with a stammer is there. So bullying and trying to hide who you are. But it turns out he's quite a comedian. He's very funny. And again, I don't want to ruin the story. It's absolutely brilliant. And it's a real like feel good, happy book, really funny. Uh, Funny books do it for me. But this one, you know, if you love that grandparent, grandson relationship or that grandparent, granddaughter relationship, this one is just one of my favorite grandparents is in this book. So definitely one to pick up if you shared the Blue Peter long list with it. (laughs) <laughs> you want to know why staking out the competition yes. is, that, yeah. is that called a hate read a hate read yeah it was a hate read <laughs> my god no, it's a hate read that's a new term we've been using that a lot actually um, yeah light swaps man I don't get the time to read and I'm a slow reader mm. now mm. as an adult it's so weird as a kid I was a fast reader as an adult yeah. I'm a slow reader but I used to skim those lines real quick like yeah. I'm sure I was missing detail as a child and now I'm like <laughs> sure, savoring sure every I read word. a different story like I'm sure <laughs> yeah. I read a different story to the one that was intended I have for research purposes because I am writing something at the moment that's a little longer I started reading like uh, the Spiderwick Chronicles and I reread Harry Potter as well, just to kind of get a feel for the books I enjoyed when I was growing up. The last thing I read that was newer is a middle grade book by Jason Reynolds and Raoul III, and it's called Stunt Boy. And that's probably one of the best books I've read in a long, long, long time. That is a brilliant book. Right. It's so well written. Like I describe the book as more of an experience than a read. You know, it's about this little boy called Portico Reeves and Portico is a superhero on his block called Stump Boy. And, you know, it delves into 
somewhat weighty issues without actually making them feel weighty like they feel so light and that's a testament to jason's ability as an author to both represent and tackle people that are that are kind of overlooked in the literary world you know this takes place on a project on an estate and it describes life on a project on an estate in this fantastical immersive fashion and then also you know raul's artwork i'm a fan of both of these guys separately so to see them come together like this was amazing raul's artwork is just gripping the book is like a mini graphic novel it's weird it's that's why i describe it as an experience because it's not a book but it's not a comic either it's the perfect merging of two so yeah that's the last thing that i read it was absolutely brilliant I really love that thing of reading something because, you know, it was on the on the same long list. And maybe there was a part of you that wanted it to be like, oh, you know, this is all right. It's just yeah. okay. I went in there wanting to hate every second of it. <laughs> and not only did I want to do that to myself, I needed confirmation. So I roped my husband and my 11-year-old into the read as well, <laughs> manipulated the reads, the nighttime reads. So that one came up. And then annoyingly, we've loved it. Oh. every second every page and it's every night it's always oh one more chapter please from me mainly um yeah. so <laughs> it's annoying there's a lot of talented people out there you know it can be almost overwhelming sometimes and certainly I will say actually I have found that I don't know if it's been maybe the last two years or something obviously with you two it's because you know you have very busy schedules, but I'm not as good a reader as I used to be. My goodness, I could tear for a book and now I just find my brain going, wait, what's just happened? And I'm going back a few lines and going, okay, that's just happened. And I'm like, something's happened to my short-term memory. I don't know. It's not, it's I do not, not want to yeah. speak. I do not want to speak for either of you. I do not. But I think mine's, I, I slowly think that mine's <laughs> is to do with my age. Like my attention span <laughs> as I get older, it's, it's different. I think mine's is definitely a sign of me getting a little older, like, and I'm not old by any means, but like, it's just a sign of age. That's, that's what I'm going to put it down to. Mine is time that I think when Mm. I, back when I was younger, I didn't have a choice of what was on the telly if I was even allowed Mm. to watch it. So books were what I read. Now I have like three streaming services, a whole bunch of podcasts, Mm -hmm. (laughs) audio books. Like I I genuinely just don't have enough time Mm. in the day. There is that factor of too many things vying for your attention and you only have so much time in the day. And also, you know, Swaps, you might be able to relate to this as well, with the amount of work we do in a day, it's almost like yeah. there's no time to put new information or there's no there's no space. Mm. You have to almost create space to kind of put new things in. Yeah, yeah. Do you think sort of, you know, the parts of your brain that you're using when you yourselves are creating something, do you think they're quite closely linked to when you're also consuming someone's creation as well? Do you think they're similar? And because, you know, both of you are using that part of your brain all the time to create these wonderful books, do you think that's basically, you know, it's exhausted that area and actually consuming someone else's creation becomes a bit trickier? I'm sure it is because, you know, whenever I've had, I don't really like to call it writer's block, but if I've ever had a block where I just, you know, freeze and I can't quite get any words out, I'll always read something and it starts the flow of words. So I'm sure those two things are interlinked, Mm. um, you know, creating and absorbing someone else's creativity. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised because sometimes I genuinely just need dead space (laughs) after I've done sort of edits and written something new and sent in a proposal and then answered you know fan mail I just need like 
silence <laughs> to some sort of like cocoon of nothingness. White noise. White... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think they're 100% linked. I can't create unless the tank is full, if that makes mm. any sense. Mm. Like, and that's, that's how I describe it. Like all the stuff I consume, all the stuff I read, all the stuff I fan over, that's the stuff that is replenishing the creative tank. Mm. And my work is literally me just vomiting all of that stuff out and then arranging it so that it makes sense. And once I've done like a about finished a couple of books or whatever, that tank's empty. So I like to take some time to go and fill it up, either revisiting things that I really enjoyed that instantly sparked that, you know, buzz or discovering new things that I enjoy as well or don't enjoy in some cases. Yeah, so I definitely think that's, uh, yeah, they're linked. You can't separate the two. I think there needs to be more emphasis on that when people talk about creativity as well, because I think there's this illusion, especially with young kids, that we create from thin air. Yeah. And I'm like, it doesn't come from nowhere. It all comes from stuff that you take in, you know? Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. One final question before we'll start talking about your collaboration in a minute. But one final question is just from now, right back to when you were children. Is there a single title that stands out for you? as a book that you would recommend to everyone? I don't know that there was a, there's so many books that stand Mm. out to me, but from my personal experience, so I saw this question, I had to really think about it (laughs) um, because there are just so many books that have impacted me in different ways. The book that changed my life, well, what changed my life was turning my career around and, you know, picking myself up from a slump um, and deciding I wanted to write. And the book I read at that time was Leah's Guide to Winning the Lottery by Karen David. It's a YA novel. It may have made a splash at the time. I don't know. All I know is when I read this book, it had me howling. Like I was laughing so hard and it had been so long since I like genuinely laughed at that time that I thought I want to create stuff that make people laugh and I want to create things that make kids laugh. And I think that is the book that changed my life because humour is so integral to a lot of my work. And people ask me whether I deliberately write funny. I don't. I just write books and then humour seems to slip in. And I always think it's because of that book because I want people to laugh the way I laughed when I read that book so Mm. many years ago. So, um, yeah, I'll say it's that one. (laughs) But there are hundreds of other books that could be chosen. Yeah, and all at different points in my life for different things. But... The point at which I made the switch to a a writer was the time I read that book. Mm. I don't have a particular book, if that makes any sense. I just don't have a particular one. I think that's a really hard question. I think it wasn't Dave Pigeon. No, sadly, it wasn't. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. No, I think I think you know it's a hard question for me because I don't even know when that time happened. If it makes any sense, Mm. like um, I always say to people, I'm a fan before anything like I'm still only just now adapting to referring to myself as an author and an illustrator because I'm still Mm -hmm. just such a massive nerd when it comes to books and art and all this stuff like so I don't really I can't really trace a time I I can't really trace a book to recommend to people Mm -hmm. I can talk about like artists whose work impacted me and made me kind of decide that this is something that I really want to do and the biggest you know was was Quentin Blake and at the time as well because I was young and I didn't know anything about artists outside of like the white sphere if you will in terms of white male artists I didn't know anything outside of that so what I was consuming that was really kind of 
just firing off all these sparks in my brain was Roald Dahl, Quentin Blake's artwork to Roald Dahl's texts. And through that, I discovered the work of Ronald Searle, who's another um, artist who uses a lot of ink. And then through like watching um, Pixar films growing up and Disney films, I discovered the works of a character designer called Pete DeSive and uh, a guy called Carter Goodrich, who are brilliant. They designed the characters for Ice Age, Finding Nemo, all the cartoons that we grew up on and we loved. They created those characters so just from that kind of curiosity about what i was watching i went and did a little dive and i found out who made what and those are the things that kind of made me decide yeah this pivotal things that made me think yeah i want to create this content i absolutely accept the answer of you know that there is no (laughs) one book because i find it a you know a cruel question and i think some people do say that yeah there is this book but i think you know as a reader they do merge into a, a whole, which can sometimes mean more than the individual books, if that yeah. if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And the thing about your life changing is, you know, you don't quite know your life is changing until it's changed. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. Yeah. I didn't know my life was changing when I came into yeah. this industry and now it's changed. I'm like, crap, it's, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it's changed. So, yeah. Yeah, that's so true. I wouldn't have ever said that that book that I read in that moment was changing my life. Mm. It's only now I look back and I think that was the when I decided I wanted to write for children, I was going to submit my work. Mm. That was the book I'd read at the time. And now I can look back and appreciate that. But yeah, you're right. You just, you don't really know, especially in publishing. It's nope. so slow. It's, a, it's you know, glacially slow. You don't really, you don't, not even sure your life has changed. <laughs> Talking about the speed of publishing, when was the start? Because of course, your first collaboration came out last year, but when was the start of your collaboration? When was the, you know, the beginning of that? Four years ago, 2018. Was it? Yes. That's, that's when I met. I think yeah, I met Penny at Macmillan in 2017. So I'd actually yeah. written the first text. So you had the first two texts. I got the yeah. first two texts. So like, I got them in 2018. And that was the, yeah. I got them in early 2018. Like I remember it was like February, 2018, they arrived in my desktop. So that's when I got them. And that's when I first kind of got introduced and it was two different, well, one different text from the direction we ended up going in. We had a story about the sister and we didn't have a story about the mum at the time. We had the grizzly Mm -hmm. bear and I can't name the other creature yet, just in case we come out with it. But we had a story about the sister as well. And I just remembered I had a lot of texts coming in at the time, but (laughs) this was the one I was like, okay, this is it. Like two reasons, you know, the humor jumped out at me. Swapner's style of writing really gripped me for both books. And just the thought that, because I draw in my head while I'm reading the text. Mm -hmm. And if I can't visualize the story straight away, it's a no from me, you know, because that needs to be something. Those cylinders need to be firing. And that was happening. And then I also got to draw a bear, which is something that I'd (laughs) always wanted to do. So I was like, yep, this is it. I'm not as good as Dapper at secrets. So I've just been telling everyone that the first text was about a piranha. Oh, well, there you go. She's done it now. (laughs) (laughs) It's about a piranha. Um, Yeah, so I'd submitted the text, which was My Little Sister's a Piranha, to Macmillan. Oh, and my agent did that. And then I'd met Penny, who was on the editorial team at the time. And she said, oh, we have this really great illustrator in mind called Dapo Adiola. And she showed me some of his work online. And I was just, I wanted 
it was going to be Dapo or no one really at that point. And so then at the time they were talking about maybe rather than leading, if we were going to make something of this family, maybe rather than leading with the sister, we would lead with the dad. So I wrote a different text, which was my dad is a grizzly bear. And then, of course, what followed was, can we have a text about a (laughs) mum? Which, I mean, I actually really struggled with because I don't really have a relationship with my mum. So, you know, it was easy to do the dad one because every day I see my husband be this incredible dad and the whole story was actually inspired by my kid who thought James my husband was a bear for a while um so that was really easy and quick to write but the mum one was so painfully slow because I just couldn't connect with the idea of this loving relationship with a mum it was just very strange but then my agent I sat down there where you know we were about two weeks away from I had to hand this thing in and She had to talk me off a ledge and she basically said, remind me, I am a mum. And then I just thought, I don't know why it took that long to figure that out. But yeah, I am a mum. So the whole story really is a love letter to my child about how I parent. (laughs) If anyone wants to know how I parent, that's how I parent. Okay. Um, Yeah, I'm fiercely proud of him. I honestly, every day he walks through the door, I just want to bite his little cheeks off. Um, (laughs) No, he's 11. He hates it. (laughs) I really feel like I tapped into this now that I'm hearing this story. Yeah, no. I didn't even know the story at the time. I actually really do think I tapped into this. We read it today and he was just, he could honestly find family photos to go along with your illustrations of all the times I've attacked him as a lioness. (laughs) it's like looking through a photo album it's crazy so yeah now I am incredibly proud of this book because it really is so true to who I am and it's you know it's a story of my heart so it's an amazing book I love it I hope you've seen a copy because the illustrations Mm. are incredible oh it's just so brilliant and you know the colors as well I mean this thing just bangs man look at this thing mm. this is terrible for a podcast <laughs> because you can't see it but it trust me i'll have to do one of the like audio <laughs> i'll record an audio description at the end yeah. of the audio description of insanely bright neon green <laughs> book. yeah they really do yeah they really do pop and the story and the illustrations are wonderful i think when you talk about the pride aspect of it it does make me think and i, I hope i'm not um well, I'm not giving too much away because there, there's so much in the book, but when the child is on stage and the mom's like stood up in the audience <laughs> yeah. with like stars in her eyes, I instantly thought of that image of like someone just standing, you know, yeah, clapping as loud me. as they can, you know. I'm that annoying person at the sports day where they say, don't cheer for your own child, cheer for all the kids. I'm only what? cheering for my no. child. <laughs> like, why would you cheer for? No, I want my kid to win. Like, yeah. what? No. no. Exactly. Like, School spirit be damned. (laughs) Also, some insane thing happens to me at sports day where I suddenly think I'm really athletic and then they'll say that it's a parent's race and I'm like, elbowing in. (laughs) (laughs) You can't see on this, but I don't really have an athletic figure. I have more of a donut-shaped body. (laughs) (laughs) For some reason, I suddenly think I'm like an Olympic runner. (laughs) Hey, it's all uh, about attitude. It's all about... Yeah. It does sound like My Mom is a Lioness really is about you and your mothering style. But the thing is, I'm not alone. There are plenty of grown-ups in kids' lives who are just 
as loud and and fiercely oh, yeah, proud absolutely. and you know cheering on the sidelines but I will say there's one image in there which going back to sports day where the mum's wearing a t-shirt with her kid's face on it I have one of those which I wore to my kid's nursery graduation I mean what how do you graduate from a nursery anyway but I was just so yeah. ridiculously proud I did wear a jumper with his face on it oh my god <laughs> Dapper is never working with me again. <laughs> He's calling child services right now. Seriously. <laughs> I'm just imagining Phoenix at like 22, sitting down in the therapist chair going, yeah, she showed up with my face on a jumper. It was my nursery graduation. Like, <laughs> 100% I'm sitting in the waiting room wearing the same shirt. <laughs> I'm so proud of you, darling, for getting the therapy that you need. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> He loves it. <laughs> and so so when you were reading the text depot, you know, the images, it was so clear from the words that you could just visualise it. So funny story. Um, the first grizzly bear and piranha did that, but lioness didn't do that. And oh. the reason it didn't do that was because I felt, because I'm familiar with Swapner's style of writing now, especially mm. when it comes to picture books. So I felt the struggle. Like, because mm. I struggled with it. It took a lot mm. longer and it took a lot more from me than other picture books. It didn't come as easily. But as with most things, when you're going at it and going at it and going at it, there's a tipping point that happens. And it took a few months for me to get to that tipping point. And it's also because I, I'm always working on like multiple books at the same time. So mm. there were other books that were easier for me to sort of just jump straight into. And I would focus more on those and give my brain time to rest from trying to decipher Lioness. And as I got along with the other books and came back to this, I'd see it differently. And it took a lot of sort of back and forth and back and forth in for me to get in that zone where it started to really come out. And then when we put the images that I created together, that's when the narrative really unfolded. And then I could kind yeah. of go back and mm -hmm. add little bits and pieces here and there and tie it together better and all the rest of it. And, you know, this is the thing about picture books that a lot of people don't quite grasp. It's never complete till it's done if that makes any sense like it's always in flux things are always changing we had to tweak some of the text along with some of the yeah. illustrations i was gonna say once i saw the illustrations we actually changed some of the text yeah because like i said i did struggle with writing the book because for the longest time i just wasn't connecting with the idea of a mum so yeah i think that's really important because sometimes you especially with other genres of book which still require illustration, often you finish the text and send it off and you don't see it again until, you know, illustrations are put in. Mm. But with a picture book, it has to be something that keeps moving because you're both adding these huge parts of the narrative, mm. the words and the illustrations. So it should be a normal thing to keep playing around with the words and seeing what comes out with the illustrations and it should be more of a process, a longer process mm. rather than just hand over the text and you're done. Yeah. And I think that's what it is for me with all the books I work on, but it was definitely what it is with this book as well. It was mm. a process and I'll be absolutely honest with you. I was so exhausted by the end of all of it. And it wasn't because of this particular book. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It wasn't because <laughs> of this book. It was because I, I was doing so much at the same time. Mm. So I kind of submitted it. And I was just relieved to have finished it and brought it home so it could be published in time. And then when I got sent the first copy of it, because there's this other weird thing that happens when you see the work on your screen, when you see a PDF, it doesn't do it justice. Mm. When you see a hard copy, that was when I was like, oh, wow, 
wow, like this is actually really good. Like, honestly, it was a weird reaction because it's not that I didn't think it was good. It's my work and it's your work. But when I saw the the hard copy, I was like, oh, mm. like it was yeah. weird. And I, and I remembered sort of DMing Lorna and being like, you know, I don't know if I actually click send or not, but like, I was like, what did you do to this book? Because I couldn't believe that I did that, if that makes any sense. Yeah, like, I thought yeah. it must have been some trick of formatting that made this book work because I wasn't sure. I was so doubtful of everything. And, you know, at the time I was like, oh my, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure how it's going to look. And it looks amazing. Like it looks mm. absolutely amazing. All the decisions and choices that were made when it came to, you know, laying out, illustrating it, when it came to tweaks and texts that were made, everything just works so well. Mm. And then on top of that, it works perfectly as a continuation from the story we told in the first book as well. You know, the two of them next to each other, brilliant, you know, and they flow literally, you can go from book to book with ease. Yeah. I would like to say from a reading perspective, absolutely. And it's really interesting to hear you both say that, you know, for various reasons, there was a bit of a struggle there with, with my mom as a lioness. But, you know, I'm sure a big part of creativity is that some stuff comes together quite naturally and some stuff doesn't. But the real skill comes in by the point that that's presented to a member of the public, that that difference between the easy bits and the struggle bits aren't apparent. And I will absolutely say I was looking through them both last night and yeah, as you say, from one to the other, it's an effortless transition. And they're both, you know, from a reading and, you know, a visual perspective, it's all there. They're beautiful picture books and a bit like a duck on water. Any um, struggle sort of underneath the water level to us is not apparent. Thank you. Oh, I'm a swan. I'm a regular swan. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm beautiful on the outside, serene, yeah. and my feet are just like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> crazy. That's my life now. Thank you so much. That really means a lot. Because, you know, yeah, the book has you. literally only just landed because apparently it takes 50,000 years for mail to travel from the UK <laughs> to New Zealand. Um, so, <laughs> you know, it's hard to, you know, we've had some really amazing reviews come in, but it was hard to connect <laughs> when having yeah. not held mm. the book. So now I'm holding the book and hearing wonderful words about it. That really means a lot. So thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. And it must be, I imagine, a really particular experience to finally hold the book because they are tactile things, you know, picture yeah. books in particular, more so than non sort of illustrated books. You know, a picture book is something to be held in the hands and to be seen up close. And I, I can imagine it is a huge difference, particularly if you've been working on it, to suddenly see it come together in the physical thing. Well, yeah. for us, it's been out since 3rd of February. So it's been in the shop for a while. It's out there in the wild, um, oh, you know, finding, finding its readership, which is um, always a really exciting thing. Swapna Depo, I want to thank you so much for joining us on Mostly Books Meets. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure. All of the books mentioned during the podcast are available to buy from the Mostly Books website. This podcast has been presented and produced by members of the team at Mostly Books in Abingdon. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review and subscribe because apparently it helps people find us.